everyone. Welcome to this week's chapter recap. My name's Corey. I'm here with my husband, Matlock. We both work for Bible Discovery uh, and our assigned reading from the Discovery Guide this week was 2 Kings 9 to 1 Chronicles chapter 9. So nice even... I like those numbers. <laughs> yeah. For Second Kings nine, First Chronicle nine, it's very yeah. symmetrical. It's very nice. This is the second week in a row that that this has happened. Uh, but um, we're we're gonna recap it. We're gonna see. You know, we're reading through the Bible this year, and we're we're getting there. We're about a quarter way through, ish. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting there. Yeah. Are you ready to recap more Kings? I'm ready. All right. I'm excited. I love this time period. I know. I'll let you do more of the talking this time. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of narrative. We do have to get through it. Yes. Um, so let's just jump right in. Second Kings chapter nine. So the prophet Elisha uh, sends another prophet to Jehu, who's a military commander in the Israelite army. And they anoint him as the next king of Israel, but also to destroy the current king of Israel's family line. So Ahab, king of Israel's family lines. This is a brutal thing to do, uh, but it was ordained by God because Jay, uh, because Ahab obviously had gone, made really, really poor decisions in his kingship over and over and over again against God. So we're told that Ahab's son Joram, who was the current king of Israel, and Ahaziah, of Judah, king of Judah, were at Jezreel, the city of Jezreel, because they had been fighting against Aram. And Joram, king of Israel, Ahab's son, got injured. Jehu, this military commander who's just been anointed, goes and kills them both at Jezreel. And we're also given account of Jezebel's death. In 2 Kings chapter 10, 70 sons of Ahab are killed in Samaria and their heads are sent to Jehu, who has them set up in Jezreel. So he puts them on display, essentially, in a big pile, showing everyone the line of Ahab has fallen. They will not reign any longer. Also in chapter 10, Jehu goes beyond what he was anointed to do and he kills anyone who even had an association with the house of Ahab. Jehu then kills anyone who is faithful to Baal, uh, and he revokes all Baal worship. But interestingly, he doesn't revoke the original rebellion of Israel, which was um, the calf idols at Bethel mm -hmm. and Dan. So he, he rids it of Baal worship, but he doesn't go as far as its original apostasy. Right. Chapter 11. So back in Jerusalem, Athaliah, who was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, who married the son, uh, who married the next king of Jerusalem mm -hmm. in a marriage alliance, she's the queen mother at this point. And she receives news of her son, the king, Ahaziah's death, because Jehu killed both Joram and Ahaziah at Jezreel. And her reaction to her son's death is interesting and brutal. She kills the entire royal family and takes the kingship for herself. But unbeknownst to her, because she has given this order to those mm. who are faithful to her, one of the uh, royal princesses survives and saves 
one of uh, Ahaziah's infant sons. Mm. Probably claims it as her own, but goes and hides them. Hides him specifically in the temple because we're told that that woman who saved the baby was was married to someone really important. Okay, seven years later, so this baby grows up hiding out in the temple, probably being trained with the priests. The high priest Jehoiada announces this seven-year-old boy, whose name is Joash, as king of Jerusalem. But obviously he's seven. So the priest Jehoiada seems to act as the king himself. And we're going to see that over and over. Mm -hmm. So it's like a co-regent situation. So you have the real king, but then you have someone making decisions for the king until he's old enough to make good decisions on his own. Uh, As a result of this, uh, Judah and the people of Jerusalem rally around Joash and they have Athaliah, the queen, killed. And Baal worship is removed from the land of Judah at the insistence of the high priest Jehoiada. So that's chapter 11. It's a big chapter for the history mm-hmm. of Judah and Jerusalem. So in 2 Kings chapter 12, Joash becomes this official king when he's seven. We're told that he reigns for 40 years. And that while Jehoiada the high priest is alive, so while Jehoiada is this co-regent for him, Joash's reign is really good. Um, And as Joash grows, Jehoiada the priest is gradually giving decision-making power over to Joash. And Joash makes some really good decisions. He repairs the temple in Jerusalem. He he does end up having to pay off an enemy king that we've heard of before, Hazael, the king of Aram. He pays him off to not attack Judah and Jerusalem with some of the temple and palace treasures. Um, But eventually, Joash is, we're told the end of Joash's reign, and then we're going to get the details filled in. Joash is assassinated, and his son is put on the throne for him. Second Kings chapter 13, we learn that, we learn why Joash was assassinated. He was a mostly good king of Jerusalem. He, uh, while Jehoiada the priest was alive, he made really good decisions. But once Jehoiada the priest died, Joash started trailing off into making decisions away from God. Mm. So, uh, and there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of interesting studies. If you'll notice back in uh, chapter 12, Jehoiada the priest is buried in the royal tombs of Jerusalem. He's, he's given a king's burial. So, it is possible that Joash resented Jehoiada the priest because Jehoiada the priest um, was seen as the real king, right? as a priest king, even though it was supposed to be Joash. Right. So it's a little bit of speculation, but it would explain why Joash kind of goes off once right. Jehoiada dies. Okay, so after Joash is assassinated, he's replaced by... Um, we'll, we'll get there. Okay, so well... <laughs> There's a lot of complex history. You got to <laughs> yeah. stay with me. There's a lot of names. So while Joash was king in Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, becomes king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigns for 17 years. He was evil in that he followed the apostasy of um, the calf idols in right. Bethel and Dan. Um, I'm just skipping over some points here to not complicate the matter. There's a lot that happens during Jehoahaz's reign. But the next king of Israel 
is Jehoahaz's son, Jehoash. And he reigns for 16 years and he's evil, hmm. like his father as well. We know two things about Jehoahaz, uh, sorry, Jehoash, is that he goes to Elisha when Elisha is old and sick and dying. And he begs for help. He's like, God needs to deliver us from Aram. It's not going well. And Elisha prophesies that Israel will have victory three times over Aram. And this is fulfilled in the chapter. So we get to see Elisha kind of on his last legs. Yeah. And he said, if only you smacked it down five or six times, because that would have been complete. Yes. 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 Okay. So here's now where we're going to come back to Joash's reign and Joash's son's reign. So we're told that there is war uh, between Israel and Judah and Jerusalem. So that there's this, this conflict uh, on the border between them. Chapter 14, we already know that Joash ended his reign poorly, how he began to fall away from God and he was killed by his own officials. And Amaziah, his son, becomes king. Amaziah... Uh, you know, has some success. He ends up defeating some enemies in battle, specifically Edom, but he gets really cocky after he defeats Edom and he calls on Israel for war. Seems like he wants to take some territory back from the 10 tribes of Israel and he's beaten really badly. So badly that Judah, Judean captives are taken to Israel and the wall of Jerusalem is partially destroyed by the Israelites and the, te- the and the Israelites raid the temple and the palace treasures hmm. of Judah and Jerusalem. So this is not, this is not good. Um, Amaziah's reign ends the same way his father Joash's reign ended He's murdered by his own officials and his son is made king by the people in his place. So the Judeans are really just survival right now. An evil king comes up and they're like, okay, we're going to kill you and replace you with your, th- your son. <laughs> they're loyal to the line of David, but they, it seems like they're afraid that an Athalia situation is going to yes, happen again. Right, right. And she murders everybody. Right. So they're murdering the kings in advance. You start to go off, we're going to kill you and replace you with your son. That's yeah. what's ha- it's happened twice so far. All right, we're going to look at Jeroboam II, the king of Israel now, still in chapter 14. He is a very interesting king. He has a 41-year reign. Um, the prophet, um, who goes to Nineveh? Jonah. Jonah is Sorry. mentioned. Jonah, yeah. Jonah is mentioned in the reign of Jeroboam, if not here in 2 Kings, definitely in 2 Chronicles. Um he is the son of Jehoash, so he's in the line of Jehu, that fierce king who hmm. killed the line of Ahab and Jezebel. So Jeroboam too has really a lot of physical human success in defeating the enemies of Israel, taking back territory, and he ushers in with his 41-year reign a time of peace for Israel. But the criticism here in 2 Kings is that he still participated in that original sin of the original Jeroboam, which is the calf idol worship at Bethel and Dan. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 15. Back to Azariah, who is 16 years old in Judah. His father was murdered, and he has replaced his father on the throne of Jerusalem. Um, He reigns for 52 years. This is a long reign, and he does a good job. He follows God, even though he doesn't remove all the high places. This is a common criticism of some of the good kings of Judah. Um, His other name 
that we hear him referred to as in Second Chronicles is Uzziah. Hmm. Very interesting king. He has a lot of really cool interests, like developing war technology and looking into different methods of farming and animals. He's just really, his interests are described and it's, it's, it seems like a guy that you'd like to sit down and go for coffee with. <laughs> yes. Just chat, you know? Okay, but in his older years, he has a problem with pride and he gets stricken with leprosy, which was seen as a direct act of God in judgment, specifically because of how it happened in the temple. Do you remember when God judged Miriam back in Exodus yes. and struck her with leprosy? Mm -hmm. It's a very similar situation, except Uzziah doesn't get healed because Uzziah doesn't repent in the same way that Miriam did. Yeah. And he's not prayed for in the same way that she was. So Uzziah or Azariah has to move to a separate house, separate palace. Mm -hmm. Because the palace in Jerusalem also had a public function. So people were coming and going. Right. So you didn't want leprosy, which was a contagious skin disease. Yes. And you didn't want the king to be seen in yeah. that way. So he lived in a different home. And his son, Jotham, acted as king in the main palace for his father. So we have another co-regency situation. So... Azariah Uzziah, at the end of his reign, he's technically still king, but his son Jotham is assuming some of the responsibilities as right. the crown prince as king. Okay, so back in Israel, we see um, the son of Jeroboam II, Zechariah. He only reigns after Jeroboam II dies. He only reigns for six months. So we're about to see a lot of instability in Israel's kingship. He reigns for six months. He's not a great king. He's assassinated by a man named Shalom who takes the kingship. And this ends the dynasty of Jehu. But Shalom is only king for one month. He's assassinated by someone named Maniam. Maniam reigns as king for 10 years. And he is awful. When you read the account of his reign here in chapter 15, he is brutal. During Maniam's tenure reign in Israel, we have a very important historical notation that's given to us by the Bible. A king of Assyria, he's named Pul here in the Bible. He's also called Tiglath-Pileser uh, II. Mm. He invades Israel. And Maniam pays Assyria off, but becomes a vassal kingdom. So now they owe yearly taxes to Assyria. And technically, they're an ally. So Assyria can call on them at any point uh, for anything that they need. Right. So the big shift in internal politics. Pekiah, the son of Maniam, becomes king for only two years. He's assassinated by a man named Pekah. Pekah reigns for 20 years. And during his reign, Tiglath-Pileser, that king of Assyria, comes back. And there's this first exile of Israel yeah. that happens. So he takes land from Israel and exiles a bunch of the Israelites. This leads to a man named Hosea assassinating Pekah and taking the throne. So we've got a series of assassinations. Yeah. Really quick. Bang, 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 bang. And, and they may also make it clear in the text, or the, by they I mean the text makes it clear, mm -hmm. that all this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Yes. It always harkens back to this Exodus Passover event. Mm -hmm. And it's like, because like you ignored that this happened, yep. you ignore God, right? 
And so it's like you'll see that uh, we've already mentioned this, but time and time again, no matter how far down the line you go, it always harkens back to this event. Yes. Uh, and you're held accountable for your ancestors' decisions and your decisions through that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Because in every in in each generation, we get to see maybe not in every single one, but in in many of them we see. So we can assume that's in every single one. There are prophets of God that are going to the Israelites and warning them about this. Mm you've rebelled against God and you're not going to last. You have to repent. You have to come back. And, and as the generations go on and they continuously disobey, this is what begins to happen as a result. They are going to fall because they're not following God. They're not honoring the covenant that they had originally made with God. So his protection is removed. And in fact, he's bringing in antagonistic forces against the nation of Israel. Mm. Okay. So Hosea is king in northern Israel and back down in Judah at the end of chapter 15, we're told that Jotham, that son of Uzziah, who's acting as king in Jerusalem, he becomes full king after Uzziah dies and he reigns for 15 years. He does pretty good. Again, he's following God, but he doesn't remove all the high places in Judah. Um, Now he faces a very difficult situation. Jotham does because this Assyrian invasion is beginning to happen. And so other nations are figuring out how are we going to deal with the Assyrian invasion? So Aram and Northern Israel decide to become, sorry, I just hit the mic. So you might hear that a lot, but decide to become (laughs) allies and they are going to be stronger together against Assyria that they could be a part, but they want to grow their allyship. So they decide that they're going to march against Judah and Jerusalem and take over that territory and conquer their military and force them to join their forces against Assyria. So that's the idea. So they start to come against um, the nation of Judah. Chapter 16, uh, we read about Ahaz, the son of Jotham, Uh, In Jerusalem, he reigns for 16 years and he is a bad king. He does not follow God at all. He is attacked by that Aram-Israel coalition. Uh, His response, rather than reaching out to God, is to reach out to Assyria. Uh, And and he's like, this is what's happening. They're trying to resist you. They're going to take over me. I'll be faithful to you. Come help me. Come save me, Assyria. He makes Judah a vassal state to Assyria. Uh, and when Assyria comes in and defeats Aram and Damascus and defeats Israel, Ahaz decides that he is going to copy the pagan temple in Aram Damascus and rebuild it in the Jerusalem temple. So he's just fully engulfed in idol worship and pagan worship. Chapter 17, back to Hosea. He is that king in Israel. He reigns nine years and it turns out he is the last king of northern Israel. We're told that Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, marches against Israel because Hosea decides to rebel against Assyria. Um, he, He stops paying his tribute to Assyria. So Assyria besieges Samaria for three years before finally taking it. Um, and deports many of the Israelites throughout the Assyrian Empire. So the nation of northern Israel is no more at this point. We're given, again, that reasoning behind the exile of Israel because they rejected God. Uh, They were sinning against God continually with idolatry, even though 
prophets of God were warning them against it. Verse 15 of chapter 17. I think I I read this last year as well, but I want to read it again because it really typifies what the prophets had been saying Mm. to Northern Israel. It says this, they followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. So you become like what you worship. If you worship something worthless, you too will become worthless. You will become like that. Uh, That's what happened to Northern Israel. So the exile of Northern Israel is seen as God removing Israel, uh, the people of Israel, from his presence because he has promised his presence to be in the land. Uh, Assyria resettles the land with exiles from conquered territory. And there's this really interesting bit. I don't know if you caught it as you read it uh, this time in chapter 17. Uh, there's this there's this section where it says that the Assyrian settlers were being killed by lions. Like a lot of lions, a lot of maulings were happening. And they believed that it was because they didn't know how to properly worship the God of the land. So they called a priest back from exile, an Israelite priest back from exile, who taught them how to worship God. But rather than just worship God, they worshiped God and their own gods, like their own national gods. Interesting notation there. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 18, um, we're told that uh, right uh, before Israel fell to Assyria, King Hezekiah began to rule in Jerusalem. He reigned for 29 years, so he saw the fall of northern Israel, which was a much bigger, much stronger nation than the one that he was ruling over. And we're told that he was a really good king. He removed the high places, finally, something those other godly kings hadn't done, right? They were Mm -hmm. criticized for it. He smashed the sacred stones. He cut down the Asherah poles. He broke the bronze snake of Moses that Moses created back in the book of Numbers, because we're told that the the Judeans had begun to worship it in the temple. Um, so it's we have this religious reform that Hezekiah does, probably trying to get his nation ready for an Assyrian invasion. Right? Mm. He wants them to be spiritually ready for this. Um, when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, begins to march against Judah, Hezekiah first tries to buy Assyria off. Maybe we can just become vassals and buy them off. So he gives them the silver uh, and he gives them silver and gold, and they do become a vassal kingdom. However, um, Sennacherib wasn't done. So h- how Jerusalem ends up surviving goes on from chapter eighteen to chapter nineteen. But essentially, all of the fortified cities of Judah are taken by Assyria. So they're destroyed by Assyria. Um, And there's this really dramatic psychological warfare that happens between Sennacherib and the people who have fled to Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. where Sennacherib has his military commander read in Hebrew all of the threats and what they were going to do to them um, in Second Kings chapter 19, we learn that the prophet Isaiah, whose book is in the Old Testament of the Bible, mm-hmm. just called Isaiah, he prophesies that God will draw Sennacherib away from Jerusalem. So he's not going to take Jerusalem. City is going to be besieged, but this isn't going to be the end of the city. And what happens is that 
the king of Cush, we're told, marches out to fight Assyria. Um, but Sennacherib is still like, no, I'm going to get you, Hezekiah. So he sends Hezekiah a letter. And Hezekiah's reaction is to bring all of the charges, all of the letters that he has been sent, and he lays them in the temple out before God. And we're told that the angel of the Lord goes out by night and a mass amount of Assyrian soldiers die. So the next morning, they're forced to leave. So we don't know if this looked like plague or what it looked like to them. Um, And then there's a record in chapter 19 of Sennacherib's eventual assassination by his own children. So Sennacherib is humbled. This is not the only time in the Bible where this event is going to be recorded. It's here in 2 Kings. It's going to be in 2 Chronicles. And it's also going to be recorded in the book of Isaiah. Mm. It's going to be a lot more to talk about. Yeah. When, when it comes to this. Okay. Chapter 20. Now, uh, this chapter 20 may not be in chronological order, but here's what happened. So it may have happened a little bit earlier um, because we're told of something that happens to Hezekiah physically. And essentially what happens to Hezekiah also ends up happening to the nation of Judah. So God tells Hezekiah through Isaiah that he's going to die. Hezekiah repents and God extends the life of Hezekiah, even though Hezekiah is still going to die eventually. Yeah. So it's not like eternal life, but okay, you have more years to live. The exact same thing happens to Judah. It's surrounded by Assyria. It's or Jerusalem. It's surrounded by Assyria. It's going to die. They repent and they bring all the charges before God. God saves Jerusalem. Mm. It's still eventually going to fall because of the culture of sin that it's got going on, but it gets an extension of life. Okay, chapter 21. Manasseh, the son of King Hezekiah, becomes king when Hezekiah dies. He's 12 years old and he reigns for 55 years. Now we see this major turn in the narrative. While Hezekiah was faithful, Manasseh was just as unfaithful to God. He rebuilds all of the idolatry that Hezekiah spent his reign tearing down. Um, Even more so, Manasseh sacrifices his children uh, to pagan gods. He practices divination. He, um, He consults mediums and spiritists over the prophets of God. He desecrates the temple with pagan worship. And um, we're told that he shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from wow. end to end. Yeah. Um, and that's beside all of the sin that he led Judah in. Um, so really, really brutal. And yeah. here in Second Kings, we're not told of his redemption story, but there is a redemption story coming in Second Chronicles. The, right. <laughs> the end is so hold on. It is very depressing. <laughs> But hold on. Okay, Ammon, the son of Manasseh, reigned for two years, and he was just as bad as Manasseh. But the people didn't put up with it. They assassinated Ammon. Chapter 22, Josiah, Ammon's eight-year-old son, was made king after he was assassinated, and he reigned for 31 years. He did what was right. We're told that in the 18th year of his reign, so he would have been about 26 years old, Mm. Hilkiah, the the high priest, finds a copy of the book of the law in the temple as they're renovating it. And 
as he reads it to Josiah, Josiah realizes what's been going on in the history of Israel and Judah. This is why we've been humbled so badly, because we haven't been following God. Because remember, there's not a whole lot of prophets of God left, if any, because Manasseh probably killed them all, right? And Amma, it, we're only right. two years separated from the reign of, of Manasseh. Um, however, there is a new prophet of God um, named Huldah, and we're told that she is the wife of the keeper of the wardrobe, which was probably a really big deal in the royal house. Like it was probably right. a very high up official. But Huldah um, was a prophet of God. And so she delivers a message to Josiah that God would not destroy Jerusalem during Josiah's lifetime because Josiah responded to the word of God with humility and repentance. Mm. Chapter 23, Josiah calls an assembly of Judah, reads them the book of the law, and renews the covenant, and he begins a religious reform to cleanse the land. Um, Josiah even makes it up, because remember, the northern kingdom of Israel is no more. It's an Assyrian property now. He even makes it up to the city of Bethel, where that calf worship structure was, mm. and he desecrates the altar, which fulfills the prophecy of the man of God way back in 1 Kings 13. And he travels throughout Israel, right. the old land of northern Israel, doing the same thing. So smash, taking down idols, smashing, right. trying to cleanse the land. And what's really interesting there, too, is that tying back to this idea of always hearkening back to the, the Exodus event, mm -hmm. is that it specifically says in 2123, that uh, Josiah uh, started to celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the Book of the Covenant. So what's interesting is the Passover becomes the pri no, no other ones mentioned. You know he's instituting other ones, but primarily the focus here is at the Passover. That's so important because it goes back to the event. Like, look, we get back grassroots. We got to go mm -hmm. back to the very beginning. What are we doing here? Why are we here? Let's renew the initial covenant in its fullest forms, and that becomes significant because Christ is the Passover lamb. So it's like it's not just like all these festivals have mm -hmm. equal value. It's like the Exodus and the Passover are like the ultimate, the beginning points. They're the mainstay, the, the, for sure. That's right. So that's why, yeah. Anyway, so that's significant. Culture. Yeah. For sure. Okay, so Josiah tragically ends up dying in um, 2 Kings chapter 23 um, as uh, a pharaoh of Egypt, Pharaoh Nico, is marching out to, to help the Assyrians in battle because there's a new world power on the scene, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. And they're marching out to help Assyria try to hold off against the Babylonians. And for whatever reason, Josiah doesn't want that to happen. And so he interjects himself and tries to stop Pharaoh Nico, and he dies in that battle. Um, his son Jehoahaz takes the throne in Jerusalem, but he only reigns for three months because Pharaoh Nico marches back, takes Jehoahaz captive, and installs a different uh, son of Josiah, who Nico renames Jehoiakim. Mm. So Jehoiakim reigns in Jerusalem at first as an Egyptian vassal for 11 years. In 2 Kings chapter 24, we see Nebuchadnezzar, this king of Babylon, also referred to as the Neo-Babylonian Empire. He invades Judah and Jehoiakim becomes a Babylonian vassal rather than an Egyptian vassal right. for three years. But he ends up rebelling against Babylon. Jehoiakim likely dies rather unexpectedly because the next thing we know, king, uh, his son Jehoiachin is king and he's dealing with his father's rebellion mm. against Babylon. Um, Jehoiachin 
reigns three months. Uh, and he wasn't that great in terms of following God. Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem, besieges Jerusalem, and Jehoiachin immediately surrenders to Babylon. And there's a first wave of exiles mm. that Nebuchadnezzar takes to Babylon, but he allows Jerusalem to remain. Because they surrendered to him immediately, he's like, all right, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm just going to take some of your royals and uh, your nobles to Babylon with me. So there's this first wave of exiles, we're also told that Nebuchadnezzar takes the temple treasure and the palace treasures, and specifically that he cut up the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple. Mm. So Solomon made a lot of things. Instead of one golden lampstand, he wanted there to be 10 extra golden lampstands, right. 10 showbread tables, all of these things. And we're told that Nebuchadnezzar cut these articles of gold up. So whatever was left after all those, it's been raided several times, yes, right? Whatever yeah. was left that Solomon made, Nebuchadnezzar took. Um, Nebuchadnezzar takes another son of King Josiah. So whoever's old enough in the royal family and puts him on the throne and he renames him Zedekiah. Zedekiah reigns 11 years. And unfortunately, he was also really into idolatry. Yeah. Chapter 25, which is the last chapter of 2 Kings, we get Zedekiah rebelling against Babylon. Um, Babylon marches to Jerusalem and besieges it for nearly two years. Zedekiah tries to escape, but he's caught and the royal family is slaughtered. Jerusalem's burned. Its walls are torn down. Nebuchadnezzar... Um, deports a bunch of people and he appoints a man named Gedaliah, a native Judean, to act as the governor of Judah. So Judah is no longer seen as a kingdom. It's seen as a province of Babylon. It no longer has a capital city with walls or a palace mm -hmm. or anything like that. It's been destroyed. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar marches back to Jerusalem. Unfortunately for the peace of the land, Gedaliah is assassinated. This is a bad thing because Nebuchadnezzar is probably going to march back now, yeah. right? <laughs> so the people flee to Egypt for their lives, fearing that Babylonian reinvasion. Yeah. And there's a note that King Jehoiachin, who was taken to Babylon, he ends up being treated really well by Nebuchadnezzar's son and successor. So when Nebuchadnezzar's sons come to the throne, Jehoiachin is treated a-okay. Right. So we're going to, later on, we're going to read that the prophet Jeremiah was very involved in yes. this whole transaction. Okay. Really quickly, the first nine chapters of Chronicles, we're going to do it really quickly because it's essentially lists. All right. Chronicles is a retelling of the history of first and second Kings, but it's written in a different time period and thus from a different perspective. So this is from the perspective of those exiles of Judah who were released and allowed to return to Jerusalem after 70 years. OK, so these are people who are really concerned about getting it right. They want to follow God the right way so that they don't repeat the history that they just lived through. The mm. exile that they just lived through. Yeah. Okay. So, First Chronicles chapter 1, it's a genealogy from Adam, the first man. Um, um, and, and, and it keeps going up to, right. about, to about Abraham right. and, and after. In chapter 2, the sons of Jacob and Israel are, are talked about. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and Judah is focused on specifically. Judah is where the kings of Judah came from, yes. right? Um, chapter three focuses on the Davidic line of Judah. So David and all of his sons that became king. Chapter four focuses on all the other clans of Judah and the tribe of Simeon. Chapter five looks at the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. So those are the tribes that settled on the east side of the Jordan. Chapter six is all about the Levites. So the tribe of Levi and specifically temple musicians are spoken of here in chapter six. In chapter seven, it's the lines of Issachar, Benjamin, Nephtali, Manasseh, Ephraim, and Asher. So these are other tribes of Israel. In first Chronicles chapter eight, we get the genealogy of Saul, the first king of Israel, uh, he was a Benjamite, right? So we get his genealogy. And then finally, in chapter 9, another list. Hmm. This time, it's a list of those Israelites, these those Judeans who were returning from exile. There's a note in there about... Um, how the gatekeepers of the temple, because the first thing that the exiles did when they returned to Jerusalem was rebuild the temple before they did anything else. Um, and how these gatekeepers were responsible for guarding the temple specifically because the temple had treasures in it and they had to unlock it each morning. We're told how there were musicians who lived essentially in the temple. They slept in these special rooms while they were during, during, doing their musical service there. Yeah. And then chapter nine returns back to Saul, the first king's genealogy and his descendants. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to note that the temple musicians are listed in the, the genealogies. Yeah, they are. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Why do you think that is? I think it's practical at yeah. this point in it. I haven't looked into it theologically at all, but yeah. practically it makes sense in the order of the lists. Right. But, yeah, I Other just, than that, I'm, I wouldn't be sure. Because this is Ezra, and they were building the temple. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes sense in that sense mm -hmm. to include more things to do with the temple. But Yeah, and, yeah. and how the Israelites were kind of incorporating themselves into the history of That's right. their land. Yeah. But also remember, like, that the walls of Jerusalem weren't built, so the gatekeepers and the musicians also acted as guards right. for the temple at this point, which is wild. Yeah, very wild. cool. All right, well, that was a lot of history. And it was a lot of lists <laughs> yeah. to, to go through. If you have any questions or comments about what we read this week, please pop them in the comments below. I hope you're having a good one and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.